of you that don't know me, I'm Monica Frazier, and I have the privilege and the challenge to offer some words today. And I have to tell you, I almost tossed this whole sermon out on Friday and started over. So um, what I didn't do, though, is that I will say that when we have moments like this where the world has, you know, done some, the, the powers that be have done something and we have to wrestle with how are we to respond, no matter how we feel about those things, I think there are opportunities for us as people of faith um, to speak into that. And I don't know that I have the words to capture the full spectrum of what people are experiencing this week as we wrestle with one of the most divisive and sensitive issues of our time. I know that we're not all of one mind about what the Supreme Court did last week. We're not of one mind about reproductive health in general and abortion more specifically. We may have a lot of common ground though. I just don't know that every person in the room thinks exactly the same way. And I think it's important that we talk about it. Now some of you might think, oh, the church shouldn't speak out on these kinds of social issues. Some of you might believe that those of us who have the responsibility to preach shouldn't wade into these waters, that it's just too political, it's too third rail, right? Most churches would never touch this topic, and I'm not going to preach all about this all day. But here's what I was taught, that we as preachers should come to the work that we do with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, right? And what Karl Barth, who's a Swiss theologian who was writing in the early 1900s, what he actually said was, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both, but interpret newspapers from your Bible. So that's what I hope for us to do today, to interpret our current situation in the light of God's word. And there is hope and light for us there. I have to say, I'm really grateful to be with y'all today. I'm really grateful to be part of a church that is willing to wrestle with these issues. I'm grateful for Phil opening the parlor for that conversation at 9.30 this morning. There were 25 or 30 people that gathered to have a conversation and just to listen to one another. That's, that's so vital for us to be a church that can do that. Um, I'm grateful to be a part of a church that doesn't shy away from hard topics, that's willing to dig deep into the real issues that affect us. And this is a church that's inclusive of a wide variety of perspectives. And I think that's important too, that we continue to show up for one another. You are a gift to one another. And I think that's what we'll keep doing week after week after week. Um, and God has something for us today. And I trust the grace of that. So I didn't change my scripture, I didn't change everything, but I think it all, as the Spirit does, it wove together. So I'm the last person to preach before Carrie's arrival next week. And so we had kind of been talking about this dynamic of Elijah and Elisha. And, and I picked this text from the Gospel of Luke um, as we reflect together on what God might be doing um, in our midst as we make this transition. So I'll invite you to rise in body or in spirit um, for the reading of the Gospel according to Luke. This is Luke chapter 24 verses 44 to 53. Then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, and for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So these are the very last words of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. This is his parting wisdom for the 11 disciples. And I gotta tell you, I was kinda hoping for something a little more, I'll be honest. I really wish he would've given us a manual for navigating this increasingly complicated and divided world with that same clear-eyed focus on God's reign that Jesus had. How did he do that? This is his last shot to make sure that his followers really get it, that they know how to follow through on his plan. And what does he leave us with? He doesn't say, okay, it's all in the Bible, here's your handbook. That's not what he says, right? Um, would that he would say, it's all right here on the page, it's so simple. Um, that's not really the case. We have to interpret it, right? We have to make sense of it. We have to make it have meaning for our lives today. Not everything we deal with is spelled out word for word in the Bible. So what is it that Jesus deemed so crucial to tell his followers in those final moments? I think it really boils down to three things. First, Jesus says, yes, I'm the Messiah, the one that you've been waiting for for generations, even if I'm not the kind of Messiah you thought you were looking for. I did have to suffer and die and rise on the third day, and you will start to recognize this pattern of dying and rising in your own life. In fact, you'll live it. You will have seasons of dying. You will have seasons of rising. But be assured I'll be with you through them all. So second, repentance and forgiveness in my name are to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, and I do mean everywhere, across all the boundaries that your world is gonna try to divide you in, that you will be my people. That means being people of mercy and love. And three, you're witnesses of everything I've taught you. You'll receive the promised spirit to clothe you with power. Remember when I said, you will do these things and even greater things than I've done? That, I meant that because of the power of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit's how that can happen. And you know what to do because I showed you all these years that you followed me. So these three things, I think, are his parting words. But also, this is Jesus passing the baton, not just to the 11, but to us. We often think of Pentecost as this sort of great big birthday of the church, kickoff event. But I think this moment outside of Bethany with his disciples is equally foundational for us. This is where the earthly ministry of Jesus ends and our mission as church begins. The ascension sort of forms this bridge 
between resurrection hope and spirit-filled fulfillment in how we carry on Jesus' work here and now. Because let's be clear, Jesus isn't just passing the baton to those 11 that then passed it on to other men and other men down through the generations through the church. He's passing it to us. And if you've ever watched track and field, I love relays. I think they're so mystifying. I don't understand how they can make this work. Um, for us, Lolly and I are both, my wife and I are both really big Olympics fans. We watch the things that even they show in the middle of the night. And we were big Olympics fans even before Steve Kornacki and his big board were part of the mix. Um, if you don't know who Steve Kornacki is, you should look him up. He's great. But the relay in particular I've loved because um, I'm just trying to figure out how they, how they train for this perfection of um, being so in step. So if you've ever noticed closely, um, the second runner begins running before the first runner ever gets there, right? And then they match each other stride for stride, perfectly in sync until there's this moment um, where the first runner reaches back and the second runner reaches forward. And in a moment of practiced precision, the baton is passed um, and she takes off running for the second leg. To be in sync, to be in step with Jesus, that's what makes the handoff successful. To be in step with Jesus. And we know we're in step with Jesus when we can love like Jesus loved. When our tables are bigger and our walls don't exist. We know we're in step with Jesus when we work for a future built on justice and equality for all people even whose opinions make our blood boil, right? That we pursue the reign of God here on earth, not in some far-off mystical place that we can't see, but here and now. That's our work. That's the baton we've been passed today, to build up our community, to shape the world around us until it matches God's vision for this kingdom for all people that's free of divisiveness and power over others and everything else that takes us out of sync with the gospel. And we've certainly had enough of that to last a lifetime. So what does that baton represent for you today? What has Jesus placed in your hands for you to run the race that he first started? I think it's this whole mission that he came to earth for. As his last act on earth before he ascends to heaven, Jesus places his ministry in our hands. He has no plan B. There is no plan B. He passes the baton to his disciples and to us. We are his plans A through Z. There is no backup plan for this. It's entirely up to us through the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I love this notion of chapter four being flawed but empowered, right? Empowered by the Spirit in spite of our flaws, in spite of our brokenness in this world. This is our work. And I know that's a lot to take in and that can feel really overwhelming. You may not wanna hear this. I don't, this is not what I wanted to preach today. I don't really wanna hear this, um, to bear this responsibility. But honestly, I'm, honestly, I'm tired, right? And I'm, I'm very aware of how broken our world feels and how divided we are from each other. And I know that a lot of us feel really defeated by 
what seems like the futility of writing one more letter to Cornyn and Cruz, or for those who are watching online, whoever your representatives might be, I don't feel equipped to run this race. And I know that that responsibility is kind of a lot to wrap our arms around. And it's reminiscent of this first reading from the book of Kings that we heard this morning. Elisha has a moment, um, a moment of panic, I think, honestly. He's left holding Elijah's mantle. Literally, the power that Elijah wielded um, has been put in Elisha's hands. So he goes back to the Jordan and literally cries out, God, where are you? Where are you, God? Um, This author, K.J. Ramsey, I love this, she writes that prayer is not constant positivity. It is honesty held in our hands and hurled at the sky. Prayer is honesty held in our hands and hurled at the sky. Strangely, honesty about our hopelessness is what revives our hope. I think that's very honest and so true. And I really felt that this weekend. For, I, I turned to Lolly and I said, well, all the legal paperwork we didn't do because we got married legally, now we have to go do, right? Um, this affects real people's lives. Um, so, many, so many things are before us. Um, but I'm not going to give in to hopelessness. I'm going to throw that prayer up to the sky um, and let my hope be revived. But I think Elisha's feeling a little hopeless. And I think you can almost kind of hear that in his sort of, well, I'm not ready for this. It's, it's this flash of fear that I think feels familiar to us. Um, for those of you who are parents, it might have been the very first time you walked in the door with your newborn or adopted or fostered child and thought, wow, okay, so this person's my responsibility now. Um, or for those who are teachers who had students looking up at you on your first day of teaching and thought, wow, they're all looking at me like I have answers for them. Um, for me, it was when I was a, just out of grad school, I took a job at a faith-based nonprofit, and I had been working for a while there and then became their supervisor of my coworkers, and they look to me now for answers and direction. Um, it's that feeling of, do, I, I'm, I don't feel ready for this. Um, and that's a little bit, I think, for, for what I see of, of Elisha, feeling like he's just not ready for this. Um, but what God asks of us is just to take one step in faith. Elisha takes that first step. He goes back to the Jordan. He takes that mantle. He touches the water and sees the water's part. Um, God lived up to that promise to be with him in the same way that God lives up to the promise to be with us today, here, right now. Since Friday's decision by the Supreme Court, I've been asking myself, what's mine to do? What's mine to do? Um, What's my lane to run in here? Um, And here's where I've landed. I believe each of us is called to this, to sit with your neighbor, to listen to their story, to learn from their experiences. Can you look into another person's eyes? Can you let your heart break with what breaks theirs? Can you let them know that you really see them? Will you accept that their fight is your fight? We may not be able to solve all the problems that face our nation, but let's go back to worship local, live local, love local, heal local.
transform local. What does that look like for you? Who in your life right now could you sit down and have a conversation with, even if you don't agree, and just try to listen to one another's perspective? Do that, start there. For me, it's in my family, right? I said to Lolly the other day, well, I can't talk to my family till November. Okay, <laughs> but that's not real, right? Um, how can you and I spark change in how we relate to one another? Our world desperately needs to learn how to be in relationship with people who think differently, to speak across all the dividing lines that are being used right now to wield power by keeping us at odds with one another, right? How can this community at White Rock UMC be just a little microcosm of that kingdom to come, a true community that God wants us to be? So let's start local. Let's start here at White Rock. Let's start in your neighborhood, in your family, in your community, with your coworkers. Who is that for you? And I know that we as a church are in transition, and with that comes... There's a good bit of anxiety in the system anytime a pastor is moved. Certainly someone, you know, Mitchell's been here 10 years. That's a long time. And some of you may be thinking, oh, well, that local thing, that was Mitchell's thing. We got to see what Carrie's thing is. But I just don't think that's true, right? At White Rock, over the last 10 years, you have grown into this together. Mitchell had a hand in articulating that vision, but y'all have lived into it. You've made it a part of your DNA, we as a church have grown and changed in ways that Mitchell could never have imagined or planned for. And it's easy, I think, to want to let other people set the pace, to chart the course for us. But this is your race to run. And I know that I'm preaching to myself here um, because I'm, just, I'm typically a person that enjoys letting people have their say first. And um, I'm usually reluctant to step out in faith and take the baton. I'm the youngest of four kids, and so for me, I grew up in a, um, Wichita Falls and went to a very small private school. Like, when I say small, I graduated in a class of 24 kids. So when I say small, I mean very small. And many of our teachers were there that whole time, and so by the time I came along as the youngest of four, all of my teachers had already had my oldest brother, John, who was the bookish one that spent his weekends taking apart his Commodore 64 to see how it ran, um, who aced everything. They had already taught my sister Andrea, who was the cheerleader, homecoming queen, princess one, and they all taught my brother Dusty, who was the jock, but who was also really kind and fun to be around. And then here I was, bringing up the rear, and always sort of being met with, oh, you're Dusty's little sister, oh, you're Andrea's little sister, oh, you're John's little sister. Everything about my experience in school was connected to my family and connected to who I was as their younger sister. So when I started college, I finally felt like I wasn't under anyone's shadow. I had a lane of my own and a race of my own to run. And I could really write my own story. And I felt like I had to do some work to figure out who I was apart from my family and all that that you do in college. Um, and it was a challenging but really exciting prospect to do all that. Um, the funny thing was that my brother, who was two years older, went to the same college that I did. Um, and when my friends or professor would meet him and they'd say, oh, you're Monica's brother. Ooh, he didn't know how to handle that. <laughs> um, because for, for him, he'd never been 
related in that way to me. Um, but I had learned to run my race. I had found my lane. I had found my voice. And I think that's the work that's before us today. So again, what baton is Jesus passing to you? Each and every one of us has a role to play in God's great relay. And think of this as our leg to cover on this path to redemption, um, this journey of grace. Whatever that baton might be for you and for me, we have confidence in this, that Jesus doesn't leave us to carry it alone. Remember that promise that he made to the disciples to send an advocate. The Holy Spirit will be with us. I think of this as sort of Jesus' last lecture. It's one of the ones in Scripture. And um, he gives them instruction. He says, wait in Jerusalem. You will be clothed with power from on high when the Spirit will be poured out on all of you. And he really does mean all here, that the Spirit is poured out on everyone. The gift of the Spirit is for all of us and for each of us. That, that's the thing, right? As we run this race, the Spirit will be the wind at our backs and the breath within us, um, propelling us forward. And that's really surely good news for us. And I love that question in the journal. If you don't have your journals with you, but um, you want to take a look when you get home. Also, they did not need to give me an entire half page for today's sermon, but thank you. Um, just the way the formatting happened. But on page 32, what role is the Holy Spirit playing in the story of your life? What role is the Holy Spirit playing in the story of your life? I think that's a very important question to sit with. Because that's what helps us do this, right? Because Jesus is not what we expected. The task before us is not what we expected. Certainly the disciples themselves, they really can't wrap their minds around it. They don't really understand what God's doing. Um, they sat and listened at Jesus' feet for three years and couldn't get it. Um, so it's okay if we don't quite have our minds wrapped around this yet. Um, Jesus was not the kind of Messiah anyone thought he would be. So this procession into Jerusalem a few months before this that we celebrate on Palm Sunday, um, that's what everyone thought was the big moment. Jesus and his entourage approached from Bethany. Um, in Zechariah, the prophecy was that the Messiah would come from Bethany. So when they entered on Palm Sunday, the disciples thought, oh, this is it, finally. He's going to overthrow the rulers. We're going to have an earthly king. We're going to set up shop. It's going to be amazing. They thought, yes, arrive in Jerusalem and conquer and remain and rule. So then coming down from Bethany into Jerusalem just felt right. They were ready for him not only to flip tables, but also flip the power dynamic and take control of the government that was no longer working for the people. It sounds a little familiar, right? But of course we know that's not how Jesus' time in Jerusalem goes. So now here we have this story of Jesus, the dead and risen Jesus, leading the disciples in the opposite direction. Now instead of entering Jerusalem, they're leaving it. Now instead of descending from the Mount of Olives, they're climbing it. They reverse their steps from Palm Sunday. And now instead of the Messiah arriving for a coronation as a king, he will withdraw and depart from view altogether. It's a little anticlimactic. If I'm being honest. Could this be right? The choreography is just really staggering there. And at first glance, it's a bit disturbing to think that the ancient story of salvation could be so turned upside down. 
But this disconcerting reversal only makes Jesus' message, I think, more clear. He's literally passing the baton. He's taking them to Bethany to say, you're going to be the ones to enter Jerusalem. You're going to be the ones to go in and do this work. You have heard, it's almost as if he's saying, you've heard it said, wait for a Messiah who will deliver you from trouble, but I say to you, take up my mission and go, for you too have a role to play in God's story of salvation. Take the baton, descend from the Mount of Olives, and enter into the holy city, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and you shall proclaim the good news with your words, and especially with your lives, all of you. I hereby commission you and bless you and send you into the world for the love of the world. The coming of the reign of God starts here, today, and continue to, the work, to do the work that I came to do. That's, that's Jesus' message here. And we are the direct descendants of that moment in Bethany. It's our mission now to restore the world to that vision that God first set forth, that Jesus taught and embodied and died for. And the baton has been passed. There is no backup plan. We're it. It's up to us now to carry it forward to the ends of the earth. And thanks be to God that we're assured the gift of the Spirit, as Jesus said, he would not leave us orphaned. Because we don't dare do this work alone, right? It's not, it's not of our own power. So even in the midst of this time in our country where this next generation is less free and less prosperous and less connected to one another, we can and we will make a difference. For the sake of the transformation of the world, we can fall in step with Jesus in perfect sync, in step with Jesus, and take that handoff from him. This is our race to run. Let us step out in faith here and now and get to work. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.